This episode of Toys on Tap is brought to you by Elite Sweets, the donut makers. Damn, they're good. You ever look in the mirror and just realize, man, I'm fat. I want to lose this fat. I did that back in September. I started a weight loss competition with my best friend. And we looked in the mirror and realized, man, this is the biggest we've ever been. And honestly, what it is, we ate too many donuts. That's all it was. Before we started the weight loss competition, did some Googling, trying to figure out where I wanted to go. And Elite Sweets was the brand. They came up. They've got three donuts that are so good. Chocolate, birthday cake, cinnamon, sugar. You do not want to miss them. They come shipped in a box that's refrigerated. Put them in the fridge. You can heat them up. Grab them on the go. They're good cold, good hot. Oh, so good. I can tell you that I'm down 30 pounds. I'm excited about that. And it isn't without the help of Elite Sweets. You can find them on Instagram at elite.sweets. You can find them online at elitesweets.com. Also, if you go on and you purchase some of their donuts and you enter Abraham 15, that's A-B-R-A-H-A-M-1-5, you get 15% off your next order, which is dope. A-B-R-A-H-A-M-15, Abraham 15, boom, that's the code. So go on, buy the variety packs. You will not be sad for doing so. Those donuts are so damn good. Yo-Yo Dine Toys, what's up, man? Uh, not much, man. How you doing? Good, good. good. Uh, spring allergies have started, so unfortunately, I'm worried I'm going to sound a bit more nasally than I normally do. <laughs> I may have to stop to sneeze like four or five times in a row, but hopefully uh, it's not so bad. We'll keep it in the podcast to make it lively. Yeah. <laughs> well, your levels blow out from me, like sneezing, like directly into this tiny microphone. It's like, yeah. Up, so when you my... sneeze, just be sure to like put it in your nose. That'd be helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it'll blow the force will blow it right out and you'll get that too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm all right. I'm uh, it's a rainy day here and still slightly locked down Montreal. Um, you know, just kind of hanging out. Well, love it. Thanks for giving me your time. Oh, whatever, man. It's great. As soon as Dylan said, hey, do you want to talk to, to Yucko on his podcast? I was like, I do like to talk about toys. I want to kind of start in the beginning. I want to figure out, let's explain the name. Let's talk about that. Oh. And then when you started uh, doing toys. Um, the, the name is, uh, is, uh, is a test to see... Uh, the age of the individual who recognizes the brand, <laughs> the brand name. <laughs> um, that's only one, only like two people have ever actually passed the test. It's kind of a joke. It's not a test at all. But um, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a little cult classic film called Buckaroo Banzai. Absolutely not. Oh, see, again, there you go. So yeah. in, in Buckaroo Banzai, which I highly recommend, it is the um, greatest sci-fi superhero action comedy uh of its time it was made in 1984 it was like directed by a guy who never directed another movie again um but the cast is crazy it's like it's like peter weller jeff goldblum clancy brown john lithgow christopher lloyd Dan um and so the villains in 
the alien villains in Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension, which is the full title of the movie. Um, are these are these aliens called Lectroids, and they come from planet 10 by way of the eighth dimension. So they travel uh, anyway, and they have um, uh, part of the plot, and I won't ruin the whole plot because you have to see it, but um, part of the plot is they have like a front for a company where they're building a spaceship uh, okay. to escape Earth. And the uh, the name of the of the like industrial business or whatever is called Yoyodyne Propulsion Systems. Um, and so I took that name, the Yoyodyne, uh, and then the toy division part kind of comes from that like that like kind of spoofy um, uh, like corporate nomenclature that The Simpsons makes fun of in the Mister Sparkle episode. Okay. There's something about that. So something toy division. So it's like referencing Buckaroo Bonsai, but playing around with this idea. This is like, and, and so my tagline for, for Yo-Yo Dine when I started, when I started like working under Yo-Yo Dine was um, bootlegs from planet 10 by way of the eighth dimension. And for me, Love that. <laughs> and for me, it was this idea of speaking to like how a lot of bootleg artists, like it's sort of speaking to like desires unrealized you know, those like those movies or whatever um, that we never got action figures for. If you're of the generation of the like the golden age of the three and three quarter inch action figure, like everything had an action figure. Yo-Yo Dine was a way to sort of speak to the way in which artists in the scene kind of speak to these these like un you know, unfulfilled desire and then like finding a way to fulfill it again. Um, I thought it was a, like a nice way to go. Um, as you can tell, I overthink everything. But uh, <laughs> no, that uh, that's a amazing. Like for me, I stubbed my toe one day, and I was like, "Oh, this is a." And then I stepped in poop barefoot, and I was like, "That's yucko," and that's where my name comes from. <laughs> so you have it like a, a sick story behind yours where it ties into a movie and toys, and and mine just got thrown in there. So I'm I'm I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's sort of one of the side effects of doing academic work is that you are like, you are 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 and and for better or for worse, you are taught to look at everything in in depth, maybe too much sometimes, and then you overthink all of that stuff that you're looking at in depth, right? And yeah, then, yeah. So that's it's just it's a side effect of those things, my passions and you know and 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 like that other side of my life, the, my life, that kind of work. Um, so but yeah, you, so that's where it came from. Yeah. yeah. So how long have you been doing uh, bootlegs? Or let's let's talk real quick. What do you do? So you are fully uh, bootlegging. You're casting, molding. You're kit bashing. Where do you sit? Uh, the short answer would be yes. Um, okay. Good. Honestly, good. Good. So I started largely doing customs, and then like thinking about casting, mm -hmm. um, and then eventually now that. You know, now that I'm sort of like working with DKE and I'm doing more like sort of more cons and shows, like doing additions of things makes sense. Um, so I do do that work, but I don't really distinguish between like, and and maybe, you know, I, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who probably disagree with this, but like a custom, a kit bash custom to me that is like sort of an off-branded copy or playing with the same ideas that a lot of artists who work in resin and cast and do additions and stuff do. Um, I think that they all sort of fall under the same umbrella for me. Like, I think they're all bootleg toys to a certain extent, whether yeah. you're copying them or not. Right. 
Um, so it's like my customs kind of inhabit the spirit, like that kind of esoteric spirit, I think, of bootleg toys. And so, you know, I started there doing custom work and then slowly over time, I've been doing uh, more casting and more like sort of larger editions of and exclusives and stuff with different different um, people, including DKE and like Earth to Kentucky and stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, as for when I started, um, depends on what you would consider to be like the the signify like the the sort of early markers. So like as a kid, my grandfather, the first experience I ever had with molding and casting anything um, was working with metal military figurines that you cast and paint yourself because my grandfather was a like, you know, sort of World War II veteran career military retired. And then he was making like, you know, like the big hobby boats that you get with the wood slats that you have to soak and bend and hang. Yeah. Right. Um, but he was very much into metal miniatures. Um, and so after he passed away, uh, which was like, you know, almost 30 years ago, but like um, in the years since my father had held on to all of that stuff. And I actually have my grandfather's like original molds and stuff that I used to help him cast and paint and stuff with. So, um, so I started very young in that sense. Um, I was into tabletop wargaming and stuff. So in terms of paint, because most of my work is, is pretty like the pretty detailed paint work. Um, I've been doing that for ages. My first custom figure would have been in like, 2001 when I made this like I was in film school and I made this like really shitty superhero spoof movie so we made action figures of the character oh that's rad it's called samurai ninja fly do you still have them uh, yeah I'll grab them hold on yeah I, I'm waiting for that one this is like this 60 minute poorly written badly shot uh, uh on on VHS cameras okay um uh like superhero comedy called samurai ninja fly and I guess around the same time, there was a Dragon Ball show. And I guess the character is Master Oshi or whatever, the guy yeah. who wears the Goku outfit. Oh, and, hell yeah. And it's literally just DOS um, clay that was painted. And the, these are doll eyelashes. So it's a Master Roshi body kit bashed with a, a designed molded fly bug type head with like doll hair type thing coming out the top. Yeah, it was this bullshit story that made no sense where like a scientist who worked with flies got exposed to a thing. And basically it's like if you took the fly, like the 1950s movie, and then like added like like some like trauma with no blood, martial arts with no choreography. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, it'll be, I guess it's the 20th anniversary of the movie this year. So there is a good chance that this might get recast. And I might actually just do like VCR to VCR copies of the original movie on tape and then blister pack the figure to the, you know, it's a little navel gazing, but I might do it. But so uh, this is yeah. like my first kind of like custom action figure that as related to like an original thing that I did. Um, and then mostly I was a collector for years. Uh, so I was really into like sort of the first generation of designer toy stuff that was like kind of you know born out of both that lowbrow art scene and the street art scene so like early like early michael kubrick's like the cause mm -hmm. figures um before he became the world's most profitable contemporary artist which is yeah. great um 
he's literally set to make more money at auction this year than any other artist, including like Renaissance paintings and stuff. It's really crazy. Anyway, um, uh, you know, your Frank Kozik's, your Jim Woodring's, your Gary Taxalis and Gary Basements and like, you know, and then so like I've always often on collected that stuff. I still have vinyl, some pieces around from back then, but most of that part of the collection got sold off. Um, and then really it wasn't until around like 2015 is when I started getting the itch because I started working in Mexico city a little bit. I curated a video game exhibition at a, at their new media art Biennale called Transidio. Um, cause I used to, I've worked in like new media art and curating video games. And I was doing that as an academic and stuff. And then, so I was in Mexico city for two weeks and I came home with a suitcase full of like luchador plasticos right the classic hell yeah um a bunch of star wars like bootleg toys you know went to went to every lucha lucha libre like arena event that was like that i could get to while i was there and then i discovered this place called the museo antiguo del juguete uh mexicana which is the mexican uh antique toy museum um and it's the largest like private collection of toys in the world uh, and because it's sort of rooted in Mexico, bootleg toys and licensed toys are in the same displays. It's like, here's our Batman case. Here's our Spider-Man case. Um, and even the way they display the toys, it's not like a traditional museum. Like they're using like reclaimed, like retail display stuff. And like, you know, they, they sort of like take like trash from the street and shelving and like repurpose it and recycle it and rebuild it. And it's a crazy, crazy place. Um, and I fell in love with that place. And then when I went back the following year to Mexico City for part of the summer, I was teaching at uh, uh, like an, an indie game design incubator for, um, for the National Art School. And I went back to the museum and I started having these ideas for an exhibition around like bootleg video games, which was part of the work that I was interested in doing, you know, on the academic side, because Mexico City is like, it's not just toys. It's like, bootleg everything. Yeah. Like literally like, Oh, turn down that street. That's all bootleg Adidas. Turn down this street. It's all bootleg Nike. Turn down this street. It's all bootleg toys, you know? Um, and so when I was there, I started talking to the people who own the museum, this father and son, and started putting the plans together for an exhibition called the ghost arcade, which was all about bootleg games and technology. And then the following summer, um, I spent the summer working in the museum with Mexican street arts, artists making, <clears throat> excuse me, custom arcade cabinets using bootleg games and bootleg hardware and like modified hardware. And that really like, this, that was 2017. And that really kicked up, like, like reinvigorated the passion for it through some friends who were like really into collecting toys and bootleg toys and knew a lot about the history of Mexican bootlegs. Uh, and then when I came back from that, um, in the fall, uh, of 2017, uh, and it gets, the story gets a little personal. I don't mind talking about it. I was diagnosed with PTSD and I was having a really hard time with symptoms, a whole bunch of symptoms and getting back into sort of like thinking about my time in Mexico and all of the like crazy toys of like various quality and caliber that were there. Uh, and, you know, starting to follow more and more toy artists on Instagram in 2017, I just started like kit bashing and painting stuff. And it 
like was really good therapy. Like it just like, you know, allowed my mind, like I could calm down, I could just focus on painting and stuff like that. Um, and then from there, I just kept doing it until eventually like was doing it like not all day, every day, but I was doing it a lot. Uh, and I credit it with, uh, there is an article in me that I want to write and publish somewhere called bootleg toys saved my life. Cause like, it really was the thing that helped me with PTSD more than anything else I had tried. I tried. Um, and now that that's sort of not as much of an issue, I mean, it doesn't go away. That's not an issue in my life. Like it used to be. I just, yeah, I got really, really into it, started doing more custom work and then started getting into packaging and then just started putting myself out there probably sometime in 2018. I think my first sale was like October, 2018, uh, which was the, the day that weed became legal in Canada. And I did a bunch of really stupid, like pot themed, you know, cause Canada, the whole Toronto Raptors line, we, the North, yeah. so I, called, I called it, it was like a trilogy. I called it weed, the North, Yeah. Did a, a, a green Ranger power Ranger kit bash that like, um, obviously like the logo was a pot leaf and stuff. Um, I did, I don't know whether it was Chip or Dale from the Rescue Rangers, but while I was thrifting, I found him dressed up as a Mountie, which is like the RCMP, the Canadian National, like RFBI. Mm -hmm. uh, so I made a, I made a Constable Green and then like just dumb, right? Just dumb. Like, hey, weed's legal in Canada. Here's some stupid toys. And, yeah. You know, uh, some potheads bought them and I found that encouraging and then I just kept going. And then, you know, eventually like, like I started getting into doing limited run stuff and taught myself how to like molding, you know, do the molding and casting thing. Um, and then really the thing that I think helped a lot was that Dove from DKE started following me and I did a toy based on the prepubescent radioactive Kung Fu kangaroos, like one of those Ninja Turtles comics. Yeah. Ripoffs from that like black and white boom in the eighties. And I made a custom of the character, one of the Kung Fu kangaroos, and then I blister packed it to the comic book. Um, and Dove loved it and then commissioned me to do four more okay. and like sent me some of his collection of these comics. And then I did those and then we just started talking. Um, and then, you know, he, uh, he connected me with like a uh, mothership gallery and I did some shows with them. And then I just, and then in, I guess, October, yeah, October of um, just last year was my first exclusive with him. Uh, and then, you know, now I'm working with him. I'm doing stuff with Earth to Kentucky. I'm doing stuff with Garrett at Blue Lake Bonanza. I'm just kind of getting my stuff out there. So it's been it's pretty like, you know, I was kind of like just doing this for myself and then put myself out in the world. And then like, you know, within six months to a year, people started sort of noticing and um, and, you know, I started doing okay, just like, with like getting rid of the like all the shit that I was making in my house that was piling up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and here we are talking now. So I love that. So you like yeah. toys are your origin story. Like that is a long history of how toys have played a role in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but like engaging with like making things in miniature too, uh, yeah. whether, you know, that hobby sort of side of it. Um, and, you know, before I decided to like sort of shift away from all of that, like digital art and new media stuff, which is kind of related to that, like PTSD thing, like taking care of myself and doing less work in public and trying to like, you know, 
kind of get back to myself a little bit. Um, stepping away from all of that, I even went on leave from my PhD. And when I decided that it was time to come back, I'm like I'm writing my dissertation about this too, because it's always been a part of my life. Um, you know, it's, it's been critical in like my healing and coping in my middle age, you know, from like all of these issues. And, uh, and it's just like, it's so much more fun than other sort of like art scenes I've been involved with. Yeah. And what's crazy. So we, I do have a couple of your toys that I definitely want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, chicken burger disco pointed me to the fact that you're writing your dissertation on toys. Yeah. Yeah. So that is this like a history of bootleg toys uh what it is are you so what's that look like for a dissertation um the the sort of like official kind of like way to to describe it is that i'm i'm writing about the cultural economy of action figures and bootleg toys which means that i'm interested in sort of the origins of license licensing like through toys like what is the nature kind of like what is the material nature of entertainment through the action figure and we're starting to see this even in like 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 the hasbro fan live stream the way that they use sort of like toy industry terminology is becoming part of the scene and the way that like like fans and consumers talk about it i find that really interesting because it's like you know it's teaching people about how machining and like how making molds works and all this kind of stuff brian from super seven does a lot of that um so it's looking at the phenomenon of the action figure why is it an action figure and not a doll like going back to that hasbro gi joe yeah. you know sort of gendered stuff moving through the history of that to the history of sort of like knockoffs and copies but like ultimately it's looking at like from mickey mouse through to star wars through to all this other stuff in these evergreen ips like, what does it say? Like, what is the the fundamental difference between a licensed toy and a bootleg toy? And then what is the fundamental difference sort of? So it's broken down basically like history of action figures, history of bootlegs and knockoffs to a certain extent, not a, not a, not a real history because that's all oral and some of that has probably been lost, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, a chapter on sort of artists who have worked with toys that you wouldn't consider to be toy makers. Mm-hmm. Like the like the Barbie Liberation Front, which were the toy hackers in the '90s that switched out the voice boxes of GI Joes and Barbies and then put them back in stores, like this sort of culture like culture jamming kind of stuff, uh, and then through designer toys and then ultimately to sort of the contemporary bootleg scene. So it's like over five chapters. That's like where we go. It's like yeah, history. yeah. So that Barbie Liberation Front, that's interesting because I've never heard of that before. Is that the first known case of like kit bashing, I guess? Well, kit bashing is a term that comes from the film industry from like like way back, like special effects, right? So kit bashing originally is when you were doing cinematic effects using models, mostly in science fiction movies. And you would buy model kits and then take different bits and pieces and use those different pieces on your models to add detail. So yeah. you're literally bashing the kits together. Um, you know, and I'm not sure if that comes from Star Wars, but it wouldn't surprise me. Like Star Wars is the origins of all things we do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like why it's, yeah, it's, it, yeah. So that's part of it. But like, so that is sort of where kit bashing comes from in terms of like, like some sort of like toy hacking or culture jamming with toys. Um, 
to the point where it's so influential. Have you ever seen the Malibu Stacy episode of The Simpsons? Yes. So you know this, my spider sense is tingling mm-hmm. when that part where she has a Malibu Spacey but it talks like Spider-Man. That is a direct reference to the Barbie Liberation Organization. Okay. Um, and so what they were doing was uh, Teen Talk Barbie came out in like 1990 something. Um, and it was like all of the, let's, I like shopping. I like all this, all the same issues that Lisa is complaining about with Malibu Stacy and Malibu Stacy were the same complaints that parents groups started making about Barbie. Like, why aren't these more like, like affirmative um, sort of statements based on like the capabilities of women rather than these like superficial gender sort of like tropes. Right. Yeah. So to highlight this, um, uh, a bunch of artists got together, called themselves the Barbie Liberation Organization. There was like a talking Duke G.I. Joe doll at, on shelves at the same time. They started buying them, unscrewing them, and switching their voice boxes and then distributing them again back into stores. Like, um, all right. There's, there's a term for it, it's something dropping, but I can't remember what it is right now. Um, and it's just this really fascinating story of how, and Mattel actually changed and started like, and changed what Barbie said after all of this. Okay. Like they, they got so much press because parents had bought like, there's, there's like news footage of like a mother who bought her son a talking GI Joe doll that's saying, let's go shopping and stuff. <laughs> um, you can go on YouTube, their, their entire like original VHS press kit with all the news like like TV programming clippings and everything. It's like a like a, I think a forty minute video. It's on YouTube. So oh, you I'm gonna watch that today. Yeah, check it out, man. It's it's fantastic, fantastic work in that like early days of sort of that like adbusters culture jammy sort of subversive like using media against itself sort of stuff. So uh, is bootlegging being such a broad topic in what we do and like art toys and all that stuff? Does this, does the Barbie Liberation Front then fit into that? No, but um, what I think, I think if, you know, if there was a current that goes across pretty much everything throughout, throughout the work that I'm doing that I'm interested in is ultimately it's, I'm interested in appropriation art and I'm interested in appropriation art, specifically material appropriation art that looks like toys and action figures. Okay. Uh, So that's how it fits in because because it definitely isn't necessarily bootlegging, right? In the way that we like have un- ever understood it as like piracy and copying and knocking off yeah. stuff. Which reminds but, me of the you remember renting uh, blockbuster movies and the like or uh, Hollywood video, whatever. And at the beginning, it was like you wouldn't steal a TV, you wouldn't steal, yeah. you wouldn't steal a candy bar. Yeah, and that reminds or, me. Or of you that. wouldn't steal. Yeah, you wouldn't steal a candy bar. Yeah, so like. Yeah, that, and, and I mean, that's bootlegging and piracy in terms of just like straight copies and distributing somebody else's like um, intellectual property, right? Yeah. Uh, and then with, uh, with, with art in the scene, it's interesting because there's like, <clears throat> you know, our scene is one of many scenes that does similar things, which kind of pushes into fan culture. It pushes into contemporary art. It pushes into all these different places. Um, and I sort of like, and I kind of love all of it, like everything from like original characters and stuff that people like, you know, that Toy Pizza is doing, um, like all the way to like, you know, to, to some guy with a pressure pot, like doing his own like weird mashups and stuff. Like I'm, yeah. 
I kind of like, as you can see, if you look behind me, I kind of love all of it. Oh yeah. You got a massive collection there. Yeah. Wait, this, that's just the package stuff. Yeah. So at the bottom you have Magoob, those yeah, two yellow ones. And yeah. he, you know, we had an interview and I, I listened I, to it uh, like two days ago. Yeah. Oh, sick. And so I had him like fully describe like that process and everything. And what's rad is you are currently talking about kind of what he was making reference to that he wanted a generic like space figure and so he used the original kenner to mold them up and yeah. then pushed against fan art and pushed against all these things and then got a cease and desist from a grocery store not even star wars yeah i wonder if it's okay for me to name the grocery store because i know that he can't <laughs> absolutely please name that uh, uh, the chain is uh, is called Loblaws. It's owned by a company called Weston Foods. Actually, the great patriarch of the company just passed away like two days ago at like 80-something-odd years old. That's a bummer that they passed away. Also, yeah. that store sucks for reaching out to a toy artist and trying to <clears throat> stop. Well, in that, and you know, one of the things that Jamie said, like that no-name brand, that yellow and black brand, has been a like a brand at these stores – um, like it's a chain. So Loblaws is one store. No Frills is the one where the no-name brand is really like well-known. That, you know, that, I mean, uh, Magoo and I, I won't say, say, I keep forgetting not to use our real names. Um, yeah, I mean, people. We, yeah, he and I have talked about that like quite a bit, yeah. uh, you know, because the, the whole story excited me. Obviously, I'm going to be writing about it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but it was such a brilliant use of, the like the branding from that from that particular because you could put a yellow label with black text that just says soup on a chicken soup on a can of soup and that's literally what their brand looks like when you see it on a store shelf um yeah so i loved the whole concept of those so as soon yeah. as i saw those i like reached out i have the cease and Des i have the blabberbot and the whistlebot which is r2 and 3po and then i have a cease and desist edition of each of them as well in the poly bags cool he did make one that I was hoping when we did that podcast, I had asked him because he has a, a backer board. That's like for all 12, the club yeah. pack. And yeah. then again, the club pack is a thing where you can buy no name, no name in bulk. Right. So he's still leaning on that. And I, you know, I like everything tells me that it falls under parody. Mm -hmm. Um, like par like in terms of fair use, it's parody. Um, and I've seen so many other artists do it. Like even John Hodgman, like the well-known sort of comedian made yeah. t-shirt, but apparently he got permission or something from them. Um, but yeah, so like, yeah, definitely like honestly, like an exemplar of like, like great design thinking through like, like kind of mashing up like this brand with this other brand, because Star Wars is a brand, you yeah. know? Yeah, and he did really well with it. Yeah, and they stand out, right? Like as soon as you like, Oh, those are the first ones I can, I can't just, name color. They just pop. That's why yeah. they're right in the middle. So that like your eye is kind of drawn to them almost right away. Cause I for sure, like from this distance, can't name any of the other toy artists, but I, those ones I know. There's, it's a good mix of like vintage, uh, uh, retail. Um, there's a Mexican bootleg Voltron from Juguetes Juarez, which was a pinata toy maker in uh that was making like unlicensed voltron stuff in the 80s and that's like an original from like 88 or something that oh, rad. 
in Mexico gave me. Yeah, it's a good mix. Like, you know, Super 7 does some good stuff. Uh, the bottom two rows, I guess for anyone who's listening, my entire back wall behind me is like all carded action figures. Yeah. And it's four rows. And the top two rows are kind of like more commercial uh, and some indie-ish stuff like Super 7. And then the bottom two rows are all just like artist-made bootleg toys. Which I love. So, yeah. so what's interesting about Super 7, I, I'm in a couple like... I don't. I try not to make Instagram my number one thing, even though it primarily is. Uh, so I'm on Reddit and a couple of their things. Um, with the I pretty much Instagram is the only social media I use. I'm sick to hell of everything else. <laughs> yeah, and then I am on Facebook and one of their bootleg things. And what's crazy to me is like Super Seven. I don't. I mean, they're an art toy. That's what I would call them, I guess. Um, and they're a company that. I don't has come together it's like they do what we do but they are a company now right well but super seven started as a magazine in the like early 2000s that was all about japanese toys okay. Brian, the guy who founded the magazine is still the head of that company um so it was a magazine made by a dude and some people who loved like so like sofobi and mm -hmm. japanese designer vinyl and vintage japanese toys and then they started doing their own Sophobie. And I actually have one somewhere from like the very first time they did toys outside of a toy they included with the magazine mm -hmm. uh, called Ghostland. It was a series of soft, like soft, like mini Sophobies and these like gorgeous little tins. Um, and then slowly over time, like the reason that the reaction figures, like they were able to pull that off, right? Is because the first generation of reaction, they partnered with Funko so that they could have access to the manufacturing um, at least that's my understanding of it. And then they get more and more into it. I think that as a toy company, Super 7 embodies much more of the same sort of like independent spirit and philosophy, given the origins and everything I know about that company and its founder, you know, yeah. um, than, than any other sort of like major toy company. Like they're pretty small, you yeah. know, a couple of designers. Most of them are hired guns. Like they use four horsemen for the, most of their ultimates um you know so yeah you can tell i'm really into the culture because i'm like he's a personality that i'm aware of and i really like the way he talks because i think that he has taught fans like how to chill the fuck out and understand that manufacturing plastic shit can be hard and complicated yeah and he, he explains like you know this is why it takes a year i gotta do tooling this is how much it costs me to do tooling so i need to pre-order this much or like I'm losing, you know, the company's losing money. And if I want to make more things, I can't lose money. We interrupt this broadcast of Toys on Tap to bring you this. Earth to Aliens have landed, Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Well, you come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci-fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, toys, toys. They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys. They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys, and toys, 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 toys and t-shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. Toys. Hey, look at that over there! It's a spaceship! Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your spaceship when they're open. Yeah, so super set, like, in, the, in these bootleg communities on these, like, social medias or whatever, 
they get shit on so much, which is yeah. so crazy to me because I think that the people, so these are the people that are also buying like all these NECA toys. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they have a specific genre that they love and NECA does it super well. They're really good at what they do. Um, but then they come across a uh, super seven at target or something or a reaction figure. And uh, they're, complaining because it's at a certain cost and i i think it's because they miss out on scale man like these things cost money to make like i saw someone come like make a comment about how much i was charging for a piece that was at a show Mm -hmm. and they're like really it's that much and i was like like motherfucker do you know how long that took me to make (laughs) yeah and and there's no i think people forget (laughs) there's no pay scale for us we're all independent artists we all have like what it costs for me to get resin is sure in the hell not the same for you. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know. It, it pisses me off. There are people that are astronomical, but there are also people that like are on the low end that you can get shit that is so good for cheap. Yeah. And you know, for me, like, like there's all that sort of like consumer entitlement nonsense that like, frankly, I think for the most part, like within the bootleg scene and the people who are into the kind of work that we do, yeah, um, that you don't hear a lot about because people are like, it's 50 bucks and it's an accessible piece of art, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because I've had friends who are like, you should charge like $100 for this. And I said, the thing that I like the most about it is how accessible it is to people who would want it, you know? Uh, even my customs, if I do a one-of-a-kind figure, I charge the same price as I do as in, from one of an edition of 20 because I want it to be accessible and I want to have access to people. Like, I want people to have access to the work but I want to make sure that like, you know, it's not, it's not like I'm not artificially inflating the value of the work in the market. Do you know what I mean? Like, so we can take all of that consumer entitlement bullshit, frankly, and push it aside and say, like what you like. And I, as a designed objects, I mean, you know, super sevens working with killer and Healy made now and the work is really good. Yeah. I think, yeah. But at the same time, if someone like, like me comes along, like in the beginning of the pandemic, like when we were locked down, I couldn't get to a printer and I don't have a printer at my house. So I was doing hand-drawn, like, like weird kind of crappy hand-drawn cards with customs and stuff. Um, And what I like about it is you can have this spectrum where it's like, like this scene can be anything from like a shitty, like scissors and glue photocopied, like punk rock zine that someone made like, you know, in their, like, while they were like hanging out on their couch or at their desk, all the way to something that's like a little more, pol- like more polished and refined. Yeah. Uh, and it, like everything in that is what makes this, like this scene so rich, right? There's tons of retail stuff. And I try not, like, generally speaking, I don't really, I'm not really in for like contemporary retail kind of work. I like some vintage stuff, whatever. I think sometimes Super 7 will do something that I'm like, that's great. That's wonderful. Like I've been looking at the gem and the holograms figures they released last week and being like, those are really fucking good. Yeah. Like, um, you know, and then, but at the same time, I might find something that someone's made that's like, you know, a black and white, like sort of like, like Xerox background with like a resin cast. that's full of bubbles that for whatever reason I find charming that I also like, you know? Yeah. Which I, I don't know. That's why it's so tough. Um, I just, I, I'm along with you in the idea that I want my art to be accessible because I, 
I do molding and casting. I do random kit bashing. Sometimes I find objects and throw something in for a funny one-off joke. Yeah. Um, and so like none of my pieces, I mean, I've had one or two have gone over 50, but none yeah. of them, that's not where I want to be because I want these pieces to go out. Yeah. If I yeah. hoard the pieces, what was the point of making them? Yeah. And you know, I, I, like value is arbitrary anyway. So put yeah. it out there, see if, see if like the, the market will allow you to sell the thing at that price and then see how it bears out. Like I make the stuff for myself first and then I put it in the world anyway. You know? Yeah. Um, I think that's for sure the guiding thing. Like if I don't want this on my wall, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have that problem sometimes too, where I like make something for myself. And then like in the early days when I was doing all of that, I'm like, I have so much stuff that I've made. I don't even have room for the stuff that I've made. And that was kind of part of the decision to like, I wonder if, uh, if anyone else would be interested in some of these weird sort of deep cuts that I make that are pretty obscure that even some of my friends who are also like, total pop culture fiends are like dude that's obscure and i'm like yeah. that's why there's only one if there's an audience of one for this obscure nonsense that i just made great you know um then i've done my job <laughs> yeah. which is yeah the audience of one is sometimes the only beat i want to play yeah uh, so I do want to talk. So you're you're in some shops, you work with these shops, love that. The first time I saw you uh, at any of the shows or uh, the shops was E2K's. Uh, you did a Devo. Yeah. Like yeah. whole setup, which yeah. was so sick. <laughs> yeah, the Star Devo set. Yeah. And it went quick. Uh, yeah, actually, we had people message, Dustin and I had people DMing us like, because it was the, I think it was the first piece that was announced for the show and it was announced like a couple of weeks out and we had people DMing us asking if they could buy it now. Yeah. Did they, did you, were you able was, to sell it then? Um, well, we, we did the ethical thing, which says we're going to send you all a link to this thing um, when the show is officially open and the, the website is live and yeah. whoever gets it first gets it first, you know? Um, and I thought that was the, like the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was like, cause yeah, it started with someone messaging me and then, and then I, I forwarded that message to Dustin and he said, he's, this is not the only person who's asking this question. And I was like, it, yeah, I was, cause I was floored, man. Like it was the first time I made a piece where people went kind of a little crazy for it. Mm -hmm. And it was really, yeah, it was a really good feeling. Like um, I'm, I'm currently looking at it right now and it just, <laughs> it's so good. And I think it was the, so my wife, uh, I mean, she puts up with me doing this. I guess that's a good way to say it. And so I showed her that and she, that was the first time she was like, oh, that's rad. Like, I like that. <laughs> and well, so that's right for me. That's, uh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. So it was a cool moment. The funny, the funny thing about that, about that piece too, is that I made that in like, I started working on that set. I think I made that in like, the fall of 2018. Oh, so this isn't not, so, for this, or not for the show. So what happened was, is that Dustin and I were talking about, um, I had just done my first run of five figures of an exclusive with him, which was this monkey, this series called Monkey Business. Oh, yeah. The Planet of the Apes bootleg, a bootleg of a bootleg Planet of the Apes head on a bootleg of a, an action figure suit body with panels from old black and white Planet of the Apes comics. The first ones were all about like business and bureaucracy. 
um, the panels. And then the second series was all about like relationships. It's really mm-hmm. funny how that worked out. So after we sold out the first five, he said, Hey, I'm doing the, I'm working on the, the, this show, um, this new wave theme show. It's going to be Earth to Kentucky's first show. Um, you know, what, um, like, like you should, you should, uh, send a piece in. And I said, yeah, I'll give it some thought. And then five minutes later, I realized that like, I have a shelf like right here, like just beyond my camera. And they had been sitting on that shelf for like, like maybe a year and a half. And I just like sent him a photo and I'm like, how about this? (laughs) That's rad. (laughs) Holy shit. That was fast. I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I mean, like I made it a year and a half ago. It's just been sitting here. Like I literally have a 25 liter Rubbermaid tote sitting under my desk of like customs uh, and kit bash stuff that I've made that I still haven't even put out into the world. Like, is there a reason that you haven't put them out yet? Mostly just desire like i'm like yeah. i like you know because i like the the process of making is something i enjoy so much that like sometimes it's just like i haven't done the packaging yet and i don't feel inspired to do a package for it so i'll just wait until i till i am yeah uh, some of it is because there's other pieces that i want to do to add to it and do it release it as a series but when it's finished uh and sometimes it's just because i forget there's a big bucket of toys that i made under my desk <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so like i'm i'm making shit all the time so it's just like what you know what do i want to get to and when and you know and also like how to put it out in the world right because i don't want to just like here's a dump of like 50 things i made right you know you want to manufacture a little scarcity you know trickle it out over time um you know and also not like the the whole idea of like using like the way that social media like specifically instagram seems to be like the dominant way at least for me that the the scene sort of like communicates to one another into its audience like that whole attention economy thing sometimes i'm just like i don't want to try to sell something every day sometimes i just want to sh- share random shit about me and i know that not everybody is into that yeah like, you know that some people are like you know my brand this it's for releases or whatever and it's like this is, this is like, the toys are an outlet as much as Instagram is to an outlet. So if you look at my Instagram, you will see just as many pictures of my cats as you will of stuff that I've made. I or stuff that I bought. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think <laughs> as I was looking through your toys and looking through the art, I at one point, I saw a cat and I like, cats are the cutest things I've ever seen in my life. And so I stopped on the cat photo and then I, it was like three minutes. I was just looking at this cat yeah. photo and I was like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I think I so, up what I was doing. Uh, well, I have some gorgeous animals. They're pretty <laughs> handsome. Um, so that's why even my tagline on Instagram is toys and cats and critiques, critiques of late capitalism, because I feel yeah. like that encompasses everything that I talk about. Um, but yeah, so like, yeah, so that was a, that was a funny thing with that piece, because it was just like, it was already made. And then I just like, literally kind of like, the only thing that I did after I talked to Dustin when I, was that I ended up casting um, the guitars and stuff in resin. Okay. So the guitars ended up being resin cast. Um, Yoda is a resin cast. And then everything else is kind of kit bashed. Love that. So, so it's you, like a mix of all of it, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So you did that one. You, I've seen that you did a show. It's the R2-D4-D4 D4 with DKE. Yeah. Yeah. That was, also rad. Yeah, R2 Dada. Yeah, if we're doing Leet Speak, which was like a direct reference to the Dada movement, which yeah. is where 
Duchamp's urinal came from in the first place. And yeah. And then yeah. you uh, are now going into Bootleg Bonanza's first show. First show, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's, I mean, yeah, it's his first like proper themed exhibition for sure. Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. Are you doing a run for that one? You doing a one-off? What's that? It's a like? one-off. It's already in the mail. Um, um it's uh <laughs> I kind of want Garrett to do the reveal on that one just yeah. because like it's kind of like it's a literal interpretation of like both the idea of like motor maniacs and like a band that may or may not have the word motor in their title. <laughs> uh, um, it was just a yeah it was like a it's but whatever people like it's called motorhead and it's yeah. like um it's a resin cast body from one of the like the tonka steel warriors you know they're like tonka mad max line that they oh, did yeah in, with like a chromed plastic motor that i ripped out of like some happy wheels hot meal toy hot wheels Hell toy. yeah and then I gave them like a resin cast. Like I have a bunch of those guitars left over because I've cast a bunch of them. Um, and so I gave them a guitar that like fancy, like sort of like flashy packaging and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I, the theme shows are always tough for me. I come up with ideas, but it takes me a little longer because it's like, so like a E2K has another theme show coming up. Yeah. My pieces are done for that too. Yeah. What was the theme of that one? Uh, it's the David Lynch one. There we go. So yeah. this was the crazy thing. It, like I, it was announced and all those things. And then like, I had no idea what David Lynch or who he was. And I had to ask people cause I had never heard that name yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to film school. So like David Lynch is like a sort of a, like a household name when you're yeah. like in film school in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've got uh, two one-off pieces for that show um that i will hopefully be mailing to dustin and the crew tomorrow love um, that yeah i've got some other stuff i'm making for him outside the show that i'm just finishing up right now um, yeah i love sending stuff to dustin i send him like every couple months after my stuff sells i'll send him a box of like customs and bootlegs and all kinds of yeah. stuff yeah it's rad yeah yeah they're, they're um like like Garrett and Dustin, I think are doing like, like they're really doing great work to support the community. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I really appreciate what they do. I would like to, in a post-vaccinated world, be able to visit both of those places. Um, yeah. You know, it's the same with like, uh, I did the virtually assembled at assembly required this year. Yep. Um, and I got invited in person for the previous year, but I was like, man, getting to Asheville from Montreal, Canada is super expensive. Mm -hmm. But even now I'm like, mm, I think it might come next year. Like I'm, I'm, I might try to find a way to make that work. Cause, um, it was a really great opportunity just to like, we ended up just having like zoom hangouts with all the artists on the like late Sunday afternoon of the, of the, of the con. Mm -hmm. Like one of us would just like, open our zoom up and then everybody would just come hang out. We just like talk toys and whatever. Um, which was one of the reasons why I actually ended up starting a discord server for toy for like bootleg toy makers as well. Um, oh, I love that. That's right. Cause I am in that discord server. Uh, what's cool. I think um, about all of this is like, you have 
so like the most knowledge of any of this stuff that I've talked to. <laughs> like we all make toys and we're in the scene, but you have taken a bird's eye view and really like dealt with the scene and like seen every aspect of it, which is dope because I don't see that that often. Yeah, you know, I um I guess so. I mean, you know, the the knowledge that I have about like the history of like the action figure form, for example, um you know, most of that is largely like sort of comes from the vernacular of like growing up with it and stuff. And then I I've always like I've always been into toys and I've probably had like 20 different versions of a collection that have like that's grown and been like decimated over over time. Um, but with everything that I've done, sort of even just as a member of the community, like I try to do my best to find ways to sort of support other artists as much as I can as well. Like, you know, having a bird's eye view is great if you're an academic, but like also being connected to the very people and representing them ethically and well in the work that you do is really important to me. Yeah. Um, and so that also sort of factors in for me is that like when it when it comes to the stuff that I'm writing about like sort of either collectors or or artists in in my academic work like it's how do I represent what they are doing sort of in the best possible terms while still being able to sort of like look at it with a critical eye right absolutely um and that's kind of what I've been trying to do it's kind of like my work plays with a lot of the same ideas or it's starting to like I do silly like silly one-off joke stuff I did a cat lawyer like when the Zoom <laughs> thing happened, yeah, because I was just like, I have a cat head and I have a suit body because, yeah. um, the the one of my favorite like figures that I use over and over again, and I have to re redo the mold for the next exclusive I'm doing with DKE, is this one particular like reaction figure suit body that I've used for like so much stuff. Um, I have a run of five that I'm going to be putting up in the next couple of weeks just in my own store using the same body all over again. Like that's yeah. something I really like. But yeah, I like engaging with the sort of formal ideas of it as well. Like that's why I think Jamie's work is so strong. Sorry, Magoob's work is so <laughs> strong. Um, even with like, with, with Space Warps and what he did there. Oh yeah, incredible. Playing around with this idea of like nostalgia and generation lost and like generation loss, like both through like the 3D scanning process that he went through, but through the idea of like, the things that we remember our relationship to them is unreliable because it's viewed through this emotional filter. And so like, you know, um, yeah. I really like that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Amazing. So yeah. we leave this, uh, last part of the podcast. There's a plug, uh, you as the artist, where we can find you. If you do customs, how we get in touch with you, all this stuff. So this is you, man. Uh, I, let me remind myself of what my Instagram handle is. <laughs> that is uh, by far the most like favorite quote I've ever heard right there. That's for sure. Going in the front of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I believe my Instagram handle is at yo-yo dine toy division. Uh, for a while it was yo-yo dine toys. And then I needed to expand it because I wanted yeah. to hold. Um, and that's basically, there's a link tree in my bio that will lead you to my store envy page. Um, my, I have a Tumblr, um, which is a, um, which is an archive of all the work that I've made and sold. So yeah. it's just documentation of all the different figures that I made. It's probably like six months out of date, um, but I plan on getting to that. Uh, and then, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch or like look at what I'm doing, like in the now, that's the Instagram is the way to go. And then otherwise, 
yeah, I have pieces in the Motor Maniac show, which is May 1st at Bootleg Bonanza, or a piece. I have a couple of pieces in the David Lynch show at Earth to Kentucky, which is May 14th, I want to say. Uh, and then for the rest of the year, so far, the only plan that I have, like definitively that's like written like in ink in my calendar is I'm doing an exclusive for DKEcon for San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, and then I will also have an exclusive at the, which will be virtual, I guess, the July one. Mm-hmm. And then in November, or is it October? November, I think. November decon. I've got a piece that will actually be like physically at a table at decon, which is crazy. I'm like, Oh yeah, my God, same. things happening in person again. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's sort of like where I'll be and what I'm, what I'm up to. Um, otherwise I release stuff. I just finished a couple of things that, um, I'm going to try to get up in my own online store in the next like week or two. Yeah. Uh, just depends on got to mail out a bunch of stuff, like, like specifically the stuff for the, David Lynch show but after that I'm gonna finish packaging a few like resin one-offs I have this new series called uh, the villains of late capitalism that is coming I love that title really (laughs) so thank you for your time man thank you for everything that you're done and uh, talking about toys yeah and thanks for having me and I'm very glad that someone decided to start a podcast about this stuff that's Um, what I'm talking about yeah yeah man like i've been thinking about it and i'm like i uh, just i don't want to do the work for that <laughs> do one of them it's honestly been rad uh to talk to all the different toy artists i've talked to death by toys and suck lord and uh, magoob chicken burger disco and I, I have a line of people and it's been rad to talk to them all yeah yeah and it's really great yeah because i spent uh i've been uh, i've been catching up as it were so i'm almost done catching up on all the episodes so far and they're really great like, sick yeah it's like you're doing the dissertation research for me. I don't even have to interview people. I can just quote your podcast. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I sign off on all of it. Uh, all right, great. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man, uh, for everything. No problem. Thanks for having me. on tap next episode it's great it's amazing you're gonna want to listen to it it's not right now though you're gonna have to wait till the next episode to listen to it oh when's that the next one cool toys on tap the next one's gonna be good too so stay tuned and and, and listen to that awesome